this chapter 14, verse 11. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. When Israel was a child, God says, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. The scripture says, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you, dealt with, uh, dealt, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? So God says, When Egypt was a child, I loved him. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God saw his act of bringing Israel out of Egypt as a beautiful thing. But Israel, after having been brought out of Egypt, they said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? The experience of the Israelites and the experience of God, the perspective of the Israelites and the perspective of God regarding the same event was the opposite. And I believe that in our lives, we experience this as well. That God's perspective of your current experience, God's perspective of your current hardship is often the opposite of your perspective of your current experience. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of Egypt... I called my son. When God is looking back on the Exodus event, he describes it as a manifestation of sonship. Out of Egypt, I called my son. He says, when I brought brought Israel out of Egypt, I did so because Israel is my son, because Israel is my child. And I couldn't let my child remain in this place of bondage. When I saw him struggling and wrestling for his life in that place of bondage, I had to bring him out. And I brought him out because I'm Israel's father. Now, the New Testament, when it speaks of our relationship to God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, there's this passage in the book of Galatians that says, you are all sons of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And 1 John chapter uh, 3 verse 1 says, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called sons of God or that we should be called children of God. God calls us his sons and daughters because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And in another place, Paul says that when we believed, he gave us the spirit of his son, the spirit of Jesus, and the spirit of Jesus on the inside of us makes us sons and daughters of God. So God looks at the initial act of coming coming to faith in Jesus Christ as our deliverance from Egypt. Just as Israel was brought out of Egypt, you and I have been brought out of our bondage to sin. Just as God delivered Israel from Egypt sovereignly with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? He did it by his own power. He did not ask for Israel's participation. 
He established Israel as his son by bringing Israel out of the place of bondage, and he did it sovereignly, powerfully. He sent plagues on Egypt, and then he parted the Red Sea, and then he was with them as a cloud by day and a fire by night. And God is literally saying that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God sovereignly brings us out of the bondage of sin. He doesn't ask for our participation. All Israel had to do was walk. And all you and I have to do is walk. We don't free ourselves from our sins. Jesus frees us. The power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, we're sons and daughters of God. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we're sons and daughters of God. But all of us have our Exodus 14 moment at some point in our lives, don't we? Exodus 14, 11. The people of Israel had come out of Egypt. And the first thing they experience when they come out of Egypt is hardship. They're delivered from bondage into hardship. And how how did they define their current situation? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here into the wilderness to die? Translation. Bondage is better than hardship. I'd rather go back and be in bondage than be out here free, but in hardship. God's perspective is completely different. Hardship is better than bondage. I'd rather be free in the place of hardship than bound in the place of bondage. I'd rather be free in hardship than be in bondage. But the people of Israel... They were so twisted in their thinking in this moment that they thought that their previous life of bondage was better than their present experience of hardship. In other words, hardship in that moment had robbed them of their sonship. Hardship blinded their eyes to the fact that they had been made sons and daughters of God. Hardship blinded their eyes to the fact that God had just marked them as his children, just put his mark of approval upon them, just marked them with his blessing. Their eyes were closed to all of that favor and all of that blessing and all of that power and all of that glory. Why? Because of their current hardship. The fundamental skill of the believer is the ability to cling to sonship in the midst of hardship. The fundamental skill of the believer, of the mature believer, is the ability to cling to sonship in the midst of hardship. Because as soon as we hit a a little hardship, I think God's cursed me. As soon as we've experienced a little hardship, he's abandoned me. As soon as we hit a little hardship, I must have abandoned him. As soon as we hit a little hardship, I must not be following him. I must not be in his will. As soon as we hit a little hardship, the first thing to go is sonship. I want to draw your attention to a passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. Hebrews 12, verse 7. And it says, this, I think this is the New King James Version. It says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. The NIV says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Endure hardship 
as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Look at, you, look at the person next to you and say, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. I want you to, I want to just stop. I want you to think about what this means. Literally, what, he's, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that anytime you experience hardship as a believer, you should assume that it is discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. Literally, he's saying, if you experience hardship, assume that it is discipline. God is treating you as sons. Assume that it's discipline. Not punishment. This verse is hard for us because we equate discipline and punishment. Discipline is not punishment. Punishment is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The punishment has to fit the crime. That's not what discipline is. If you look up the word discipline, the word used here in the Greek is paideia. Paideia. And it literally means instruction or education. Endure hardship as education. God is treating you as sons. And then he says, all of us had human fathers who disciplined us, who instructed us, who educated us, and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and lived? Our human fathers instructed us, educated us as they saw fit. But God educates us for our good that we might share in his holiness. Then he says, no education Seems good or pleasant at the time, but painful. But it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. You hear that? Endure hardship as education. Hardship is the means by which God educates you. Hardship is the means by which God matures you. Hardship is the means by which God grows you up in in your faith. Hardship is the means by which God gives you what you need. He looks at you in a current situation and says, you don't have what you need for the next situation, so I'm going to give you what you need for the next situation by allowing you to walk through hardship in the current situation. Your current hardships are preparing you for future glory. Your current hardships are preparing you for future mission. Your current hardships are preparing you for future exploits. There are things that God has prepared for you that you are not ready to step into yet. And so you've got to watch. And so God prescribes precise degrees of hardship for you to walk through in each and every situation to make sure that you are perfectly prepared. And this is James chapter 1, right? Count it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials or hardship, knowing that the testing of your faith, which is your education, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. He is literally saying that when you walk through your various trials, your various hardships, God is perfecting your faith. God is perfecting you with patience. So, and, but when patience have its, and what does it mean to let patience have its perfect work? 
It means do not prematurely seek to be delivered from the hardship. Let God determine when the hardship's over. Do you hear me? Just as you could not deliver yourself from Egypt, you also cannot deliver yourself from a divinely appointed hardship. In the fullness of time, God brought you out of Egypt. In the fullness of time, God brings you out of hardship. But not until the lesson is learned. And this is the point of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God, it wasn't punishment. It was discipline. God's saying, you're not leaving the wilderness till you're ready to, to, to take the promised land. And if it takes 40 years, it takes 40 years. But I can't let you out of this stage until you get what you need to be prepared for the next stage. If I let you out of this stage early, the next stage would kill you. There's stuff that will kill you in the next season if you don't get what God has for you in this season. But the stuff you're looking for is embedded in your hardship. A number of illustrations are coming to mind right now. The first illustration that's coming to mind is being in Israel back in 1994. We were at the wall of Jericho, the, wall, the former walls of Jericho, the ruins of the walls of Jericho. Had a crazy powerful experience with God reading Joshua 5 there at the, at the fallen walls. But then I was sitting under a tree with a buddy of mine, and he had a piece of pita bread. We were eating these pita sandwiches or falafel or whatever it was. And he, saw, he was looking at the ants crawling around the base of the tree. And he took a, a piece of bread and set it in front of one of the ants. And it probably was like 10 times the size of the ant. Yeah. And he goes, here you go, little guy. This will feed you and your family through the winter. <laughs> and the ant bumped into it, fell over, went around it, and kept going. And the guy picked up the bread again and put it back in front of the same ant. He said, no, nah, little guy, this is food. You need to take this. Take this to your family. And he tried to climb over it. He fell off of it. He went around it and kept going. And the guy picked it up and put it in. And he kept putting the bread in front of the ant, and the ant never took the bread. And it dawned on me that that piece of bread must have looked like a mountain to that ant. Yeah. A mountain that he was probably commanding if he was a Christian ant. Yeah. <laughs> he was commanding that mountain to be lifted up and cast into the sea. Yeah. There are some mountains that you command to get out of your way, but there are other things that look like mountains that are actually bread that God is trying to feed you. And one of the signs is that every time you go around that mountain, it gets picked up and put back in front of you again. If the mountain keeps getting put back in front of you again, I mean, think about <laughs> You got mad at somebody, so you left one church, you went to the next church, and somebody made you even more mad. So you left that church, went to the next church, and somebody made you even more mad. So you left that church. Hmm? Your wife made you mad, so you left her and found another wife, and she made you madder. Your boss was too hard on you, so you left that job, went to another job, and got even harder, boss. Yeah. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like God says, you didn't get it yet. I'm going to put this piece of bread back in front of you. I'm, that bread's going to follow you. You can't run from it. Why? Because the guy who keeps putting the bread in front of you is much bigger than you, and there's no place you can run from him, and there's no place you can hide from him. So much of our actions are an attempt to, to avoid our trials, to avoid our tribulations, to avoid our hardships, not realizing that God is feeding you, that if you would simply stop at the mountain and start to eat the bread of life. Come on, somebody. 
And the second illustration comes from our present experience. That house that we used to testify about and now we just cry about. Everything we said about the house in the beginning was good. But for the last month or a few months, everything we said about the house is bad. The biggest problem for me is I am not a critter person. I don't do well with critters. The only creatures that I want around me are human creatures. My wife, you know what I mean, like my daughter, my family. I want human people around me. I don't want mice, spiders, snakes. We've got, what do we got on the side of the hill? Gophers. We got poss possums. I ain't never seen them. You saw a possum? Oh, Lord. Bobcats, coyotes. We got rattlesnakes, California king snakes. Make a fist. We saw a spider as big as that fist that you just made. I said, the devil is a liar. And my wife started saying it sooner than me, Lord, deliver us from this house. And I was like, no, baby, we got to stand in faith. And then I went into my warehouse last week and when I opened the door to the warehouse, there was a critter up in the rafters that had built a nest. I, I don't even know what the critter was, but it scared the bejesus out of me. And then I was moving some stuff in the warehouse. I was trying to find a, an amp, and I moved something, and about 10 mice scurried away. And I said, Lord, deliver me from this house. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Deliver me out of this one quick! <laughs> now, spiders are typically not a problem for me. I have been the spider killer in our family for the last 23 years. And it's not a problem. I just kill, I kill spiders. I'm a gangster when it comes to spiders. But a few months ago, well, actually, when we first moved in, my wife calls me from the garage. She's like, uh, baby, um, I need you to come to the garage. She sounded so calm. She said, I need you to come to the garage because I'm frozen. I can't move. There's this, the biggest spider I've ever seen in my life. Now, every spider my wife sees is the biggest spider she's ever seen in her life. She says, this is a big, big spider. And I get there, and it's, it's like the size of a quarter, right? So I'm like, sometimes I just kill it with my bare hand. No problem. I'm gangster with spiders. I screamed when I saw this spider. So you didn't tell me it was like that. It was so big I couldn't even hit it. I just sprayed it with, with you know, raid. I just sprayed the crap out of that thing, and it crawled under this pile, this uh, this pile of uh, flooring. And I just sprayed all around that, just baptized that whole area. And then we went to bed. It took me a week to, get the, to find the courage to pull out that stack of, to see. And there were about four or five of those big old spiders back there dead. I was speaking in tongues and everything else. 
But the mice, the mice, the, the, I, I'm, I've never been good with mice. My wife opened a door, a drawer in her bathroom, and she thought she saw Alethea squeegee in there, a little squishy thing. She's like, what is that? And then it started moving. She starts screaming. And she's like, there's like, I don't know, how many babies? Five or six babies in there. And the mother was there too, and the mother was freaking out. She closed the door. She told me what happened. I immediately called the exterminator. And I hung up the phone and said, they'll be here tomorrow morning. She goes, well, we got to clean that out. I said, I ain't cleaning nothing out. I am not reaching in a drawer and grabbing mice. Mm-mm. I'm not touching that. Mm-mm. You're not getting no help from me. If it was a spider, no problem. Mice, absolutely not. <laughs> I scream. My daughter makes fun of the way I scream when I see mice. I'm like, ah! Ah! There's mice. Ah! It's just a one mouse. Ah! I caught two mice in a trap the day before yesterday. And I remember I walked over to the trap, picked it up. I was wearing gloves, put it in the garbage, tied it up, and it, it just dawned on me, oh, I'm not freaking out. I mean, I couldn't even pick up a dead mouse in a trap. Like I had one of those long dustpans. And I realized, oh, now I'm not saying I'm, I'm good with mice now, but I'm saying I, I kind of felt bad for the little guys. Yeah. Like, oh, these poor guys just wanted something to eat. <laughs> Go find it somewhere else. Not in my house. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I realized, oh, I'm learning how to deal with these types of situations. Yeah. Slowly and by degrees. Yeah. But I'm learning how to deal with these situations. I'm learning how not to freak out. It's like, Sonny was like, baby, we're not critter people. We're not farm people. Yeah. We're not well people. Yeah. We're not off the grid people. Yeah. You know, we're not septic tank people. You know, like, that's not who we are. I'm like, I know, right? We're city people. <laughs> put me in the city. And God says, come on, city people. I'm going to put you over here in the country. <laughs> because you've locked yourself up in your mind. You think I'm only this and I can't handle this. I can deal with this, but I can't handle this. And God goes, good, I'm going to put you over here and make you deal with this thing that you don't think you can deal with. I'm going to make you handle this thing that you don't think you can handle. I'm going to make you walk through this thing that you don't think you can walk through. Why? Because I'm, it's part of me teaching you that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. It's education. Yeah. It's education. Yeah. Yeah. It's instruction. Yeah. Now, there's this passage here in Proverbs chapter 3. I didn't give it to the guys, so they can't put it up there. In Proverbs chapter 3, where is it at? 
Proverbs 3.12. And it says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. The word there in the Hebrew musar is the same word that's translated padai in the Greek. It's the same word that's used there in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse 7. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects, he instructs, he educates. And if you read the Proverbs over and over, it says fools hate correction. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs, there's folly or foolishness is found in two types of people, fools and children. You know the difference between a child and a fool? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction or instruction will drive it far from him. Yeah. Simply means you can instruct a child and the child will grow yeah. and learn. You rebuke a child and a, a wise man will love you. Yeah. But though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with grain, even still you will not remove his foolishness from him. The difference is that a fool cannot be instructed. The Lord knows he's looking at a fool when no matter what I put you through, you won't learn nothing. No matter what hardships I walk you through, you don't get nothing out of it. And the fundamental skill that makes us children, and I'd much rather be a child. All of us got some kind of foolishness. I'd just rather be a child than a fool. And the fundamental heart of the child is, Lord, you see my foolishness. Instruct me. Yeah. Teach me. Yeah. Educate me. Yeah. Grow me up. Yeah. And then you walk through hardship, and you have to discipline your mind to yeah. cling to your sonship yeah. in the midst of that hardship. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine entering into the greatest hardship of your life and then just smiling and saying, this is so hard, but it's a sign that God favors me and I'm his child. Ooh, yes. Amen. What's happening right now? God is treating me as a son. Yes. God's treating me like a child. Yeah. His child. That's what this hardship means. Yeah. That's what this tribulation means. Yeah. God loves me. Yeah. He loves me so much. And it goes on to say that if, you, if God doesn't discipline you, you're a bastard and not a son. What we long for is a hardship-free life. But a hardship-free life is a life lived by those that God does not love at all. Meaning if you never experience hardship, God never disciplines you. And if God never disciplines you, you're not his child. Come on, somebody. I'm his child. You're his child. You got to learn how to interpret your troubles as signs of your sonship. Interpret your struggles as signs of your sonship. 
Interpret your troubles as signs of your sonship. Interpret your hardship as signs of your sonship. Interpret your hardship as signs of your sonship. You got to get that in your spirit and begin to say, make that, make that your slogan. This hardship is a sign of my sonship. This heart, you need to name it. You need to go home and journal your way through it tonight. Write down every hardship and say, this hardship is a sign of my sonship. You need to stand at the blackboard and write it a hundred times. This hardship is a sign of my sonship. You need to put a label on every hardship in your life and say, this hardship is a sign of my sonship. This is a sign that God loves me. My wife likes to pray all night on Friday nights. And she came here this last Friday night. And she did a study on the word curse because she was sure that our house is a sign of God's curse. I know, I'm, I got the gift of exaggeration, so I, it's my spiritual gift. And she, you know, you start out at the beginning, like in Genesis, and then you get to like Deuteronomy where God says, if you obey all of my commands, you're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. Everything about you is going to be blessed. He goes, but if you disobey my commands, you're going to be cursed in the city and cursed in the field and cursed when you come out and cursed when you go in. And your, 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 your animal's going to be cursed and your food's going to be cursed. You know, uh, it's all cursed. And so, you know, she's like, so Lord, where have I sinned? How have I displeased you? And then she got to Galatians and it said, Christ redeemed us from every curse by becoming a curse. And then she got to Revelation and it said, and there shall be no more curse. No more curse. She got all the way to the end of the book and she came to a conclusion. I am not under God's curse. My hardship is not a sign that God's cursed me. My hardship is not a sign that I'm in disobedience. My hardship is not a sign that, God, that I'm dis, I've displeased the Lord. My, my hardship is not a sign that God's favor has lifted from me. I'm a son. My hardship is a sign that God is educating me. And he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and faithful he must be. Wow. He's still working on me. Yeah. Bow your heads, let's pray. Worship team, come back. <clears throat> We're going to do that Jira song again. We got to do Jira. Lord, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for a reinterpretation in every mind and in every heart. And every place where we have defined and interpreted hardship as a sign of your absence, I pray that a reinterpretation would happen by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. That we would interpret our hardship as a sign of our sonship. That we would interpret our hardship as a sign that you're educating me, that you're teaching me, that you're teaching me, that you're instructing me. And you only instruct those that you love. You only teach those that you love. You only chasten, you only discipline those that you love. It's a sign of your love for me. My hardship is a sign. My hardship is a sign that you're educating me, and your, your education is a sign that you love me. Amen. So, Father, I pray that you would remove 
that, that idea, and I've, I've heard it from so many believers. Maybe I'm cursed. Maybe, I'm, maybe God's cursed me. Maybe I'm under God's curse. Lord, just remove that word from the vocabulary of every believer. Every believer under the sound of my voice on the live stream here in the house, those listening later to the podcast, those watching the video later, I pray that you would remove curse consciousness from the hearts, minds, and souls of every believer. Remove curse consciousness. Let us be conscious of the blessing and not the curse. Let us be conscious of your favor, the consciousness that comes from knowing I'm a child of God. Lord, make that the number one fundamental, foundational, most significant reality of our lives and the center of our consciousness. That before I'm conscious of anything else, I'm conscious that I'm a child of God. That I'm, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. And if anyone here has not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's as easy as opening your heart to him and declaring in your heart and with your mouth that he's the son of God, that God raised him from the dead, that he died for your sins, trusting him for your salvation. Guess what happens at that moment? You become a child of God. No longer a slave to sin, but a child of God brought out of Egypt, delivered into the wilderness. But you know what happens when you're delivered into the wilderness? The first thing you experience there is hardship. The first thing you experience there is hardship. But hardship is not a sign that God has left you. It's not a sign that God has cursed you. It's not a sign that God has abandoned you. It's a sign that God is walking with you. It's a sign that God has chosen you. It's a sign that God has set you apart. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my daughter. I called my children out of Egypt because I loved them so much. And that call out of Egypt, that deliverance from bondage to Egypt, has one primary characteristic, the restoration of the capacity for worship. Let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness, that they may worship me in the wilderness. God said this knowing that they would experience hardship in the wilderness. But God said they're going to worship me in the wilderness. What did they experience? Hardship. And what do you do when you experience hardship? You worship. That's how you deal with hardship. You worship. You worship. You worship your way through every hardship. You worship your way through every trial. You worship your way through every tribulation. Let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. Worship. Worship keeps you faithful in the wilderness. Worship keeps you centered in the wilderness. Worship keeps you. Worship is what keeps you in the wilderness. Yeah. Worshiping him in the wilderness. Let my people go. And the sign that you've been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light is the freedom to worship. Freedom to worship is the sign that you're his child. Freedom to worship. And so, Father, today, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would remove every sign of bondage from every heart of every one of your sons and daughters, that there'd be a new freedom to worship today, that there'd be a new freedom to seek your face today, that there'd be a new freedom, God, to worship in spirit and in truth with all of our hearts and with all of our minds and with all of our souls. But more than anything, God, I just sense that there's some folks that's in the atmosphere today. There's some folks have defined their hardship as a sign of your absence, defined their hardship as a sign of your curse, defined their hardship as a sign of your displeasure. Father, a redefinition has to happen right now. And I pray that those individuals will not leave this place today until that redefinition happens in their soul and in their spirit 
and that something would rise up in each one that says, no, I am not cursed. I am not abandoned. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And holding on to your sonship in the midst of your hardship is what makes provision for your worship. If you hold to your sonship in the midst of hardship, you can freely worship. And if you've lost the freedom to worship, you probably lost your sonship in your hardship. How many times have I heard people say, I can't worship right now because I'm going through something. I can't worship right now because I'm going through something. That's a lie of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. Nothing's going to rob me of my worship because nothing's going to rob me of my sonship. Get your sonship back so you can get your worship back. Get your sonship back so you can get your worship back because you can't worship a God that you don't believe loves you. You can't worship a God that you believe cursed you. You can't worship a God that you believe abandoned you. You can't worship a God that you don't believe understands you, that you don't believe has your best interest in heart. When the devil robs you of your fundamental faith in his love for you, he's trying to rob you of your worship, and he's trying to rob God of his glory, and he's trying to rob you of your identity. If he robs God of his glory, he robs you of your identity. If he robs you of your identity, he robs you of your destiny. The only way towards your destiny is by holding fast to your identity in the midst of calamity. The only path towards your destiny is holding fast to your identity in the midst of your calamity. Hold fast to your identity in the midst of your calamity. Don't give it up. Don't let it go. I'm a child of God. I'm favored of the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. I've been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm being prepared for glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray. Everybody stand to your feet and just lift your hands right now. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that that redefinition would happen. Come on, worship team. You're going to start right now. That that redefinition would happen. That that reinterpretation would happen in every heart. That the lie of the enemy would be broken right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing this song together. Sing it with all your heart. Declare it.